0: Thank uh-huh. you. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. Today, for your listening pleasure, we have an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode sometime in the last 10 years. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy it. This story was first published on July 1st of 2021 under the headline, Stuart Holbrook, Preserve the Spirit of Mid-Century Oregon. Here we go. Ninety-eight years ago, in a logging camp deep in the forests of British Columbia, a logger in a funny hat walked up to a big stump, axe in his hand. Taking off the hat, it was a battered bowler, an old-fashioned dandy's hat. Even in 1923, he laid it on the stump, set an nail on it, and drove it in with the back of the axe. Then he turned and walked away. Probably he walked straight to the logging locomotive for his last ride into town, Nailing the hat to the stump was a symbolic act. Stuart H. Holbrook was quitting the logging business forever. For Holbrook, the hat was an especially significant object, and if he'd thought more about it, he probably would have realized he really wanted to keep it. He had bought it three years earlier in Boston, Massachusetts, where he had found himself at loose ends with some money in his pocket, and he'd used the money to buy two things, the Derby, brand new, from the Jordan Marsh Emporium, and a round-trip ticket to British Columbia. He'd planned on a nice scenic train trip, little time wandering around seeing the enormous trees he kept hearing about, and another nice scenic trip home. If it sounds a bit weird to book a cross-continental train trip just to see some trees, well, it wasn't for Holbrook. Timber was practically in his blood. He was born in a timber town, Newport, Vermont, population 5,000. Now, this was river pig country, and every small boy growing up in Newport wanted to be one of the brave, brawny men who worked the great log drives down the Connecticut River. Holbrook was no exception. In high school, Holbrook worked summers in the logging camps that his father operated. When he was 18, the family moved to Winnipeg, and he didn't bother finishing high school. Instead, he just took a job as a cub reporter for the local newspaper and played on a minor league baseball team and made a little extra money on the vaudeville stage as a yodeler. Well, one thing led to another, and a few months later, Yodel and Holes Holbrook had joined a traveling stock theater troupe, the Harry Sinclair Stock Company. Holbrook later characterized this as, quote, the worst dramatic stock company an amused god ever permitted to roam. It must have been a decent enough outfit, though, because one of the other members was a young Boris Karloff. But Harry Sinclair himself was an old rascal of the first water. He insisted on playing all the male romantic leads himself, although he was 71 years old, while Stewart played supporting roles. It was exasperating and sometimes embarrassing, but that was the job and it was a living. Until one day, it wasn't. A year after Holbrook joined, Harry Sinclair dissolved the company through the simple expedient of disappearing in the middle of the night with the cash box, leaving his players flat, busted, and unpaid to make their way home as best they could. Shortly thereafter, the U.S. joined the First World War and Holbrook enlisted. Over the next couple of years, he rose to the rank of first sergeant. He fought in the trenches in France, and between military activities, he wrote and directed and acted in plays for the troops over there. Back stateside after the war's end, Holbrook achieved his childhood ambition of working as a river pig on one of the last great log drives on the Connecticut River. And that was probably where he got the money that he spent on the derby hat and the tree-viewing ticket that day in 1920. It would, of course, change his life forever. Part 2 When Stuart Holbrook arrived in British Columbia, he found his new derby hat was an object of considerable interest among the locals there. Such headgear was common for loggers to wear when coming to town to blow her in in the northeast woods, but not on the west coast. I think that at that time, in 1920, it was the only Derby hat in all the province, he wrote in a 1931 article in the American Mercury. I noticed people on the street looking at it. It got me the job, anyway. By which he means, when he interviewed for a job on a logging crew in the B.C. woods, the owner found his headgear so amusing that he decided to offer him the job. Sometime later, Holbrook decided he was on the West Coast to stay. He rode the logging Loki on its next trip into town and cashed in his return ticket. Over the next three years, he did a little of everything scaling logs, supervising fallers and buckers, setting chokers, serving as camp medic, etc. He spent a lot of time in the camp chatting up the loggers, too. Holbrook was the kind of guy who could and would talk to anyone, and he used the stories he heard in articles that he started submitting under the byline Holes Holbrook to various timber industry magazines. By 1923, he was making more money writing than he was logging, and the time it required was cutting into his duties. The tipping point, the log that broke the camel's back, if you will, came when the Century magazine purchased his article, The Bull Cook, When He Rings the Gong, the Boys Have to Get Up, for 100 American dollars. That was the equivalent of just a little shy of 1600 bucks in 2021 currency. That's when he decided to nail the old derby to a stump and come to town for good. He picked Portland for his new home because it had the best library, in his opinion, on the West Coast. Plus, it was smack in the middle of logging country. Upon arrival, he got a job as an associate editor of 4L Lumber News. This was the official publication of the Loyal Legion of Loggers and Lumbermen, a government-sponsored loggers union created during the First World War as an alternative to the more radical Industrial Workers of the World Union, the IWW, a.k.a. the Wobblies. This job more or less completed the apprenticeship of Stuart Holbrook as the premier voice of the American mid-century timberman. For the next several years, he traveled all over the Pacific Northwest, interviewing loggers and lumbermen, learning about local stories and legends, and channeling it all into the Lumber News. Lumber News didn't pay very well. Holbrook augmented his salary with freelance articles that went out to a growing list of regional and national publications, tony slicks like The Century, Sunset, The American Mercury, and The Saturday Evening Post, as well as tawdry pulps like Startling Detective. Still, money was always pretty tight. He became a regular in the American Mercury, a magazine that paid rather poorly but was a true prestige title. To write for the Merck in the 20s and 30s, he later wrote, meant that you had arrived. In 1924, he married Catherine Gill, the program director for Portland radio station KOIN. This was very early in the era of radio broadcasting, long before the Federal Radio Commission was formed. Record-keeping wasn't very strict, and stations were always hungry for content, so it's very likely some of Holbrook's work found its way onto her radio station. In 1928, his work started appearing in the Portland Morning Oregonian and didn't stop appearing there until his death. He never held a staff position there. They paid him as a freelancer. But that seems to have worked out pretty well for him. According to historian Brian Booth, for at least one month during the Depression years, he made more money than the publisher did. A lot of work that Holbrook did for the Oregonian ended up being rewritten, spiced up a little, and submitted to the American Mercury. By this time, Holbrook had more or less found his favorite topic. He was going to write about the people mainstream historians and community boosters found uninteresting or embarrassing. Not the brave pioneers and pious missionaries of the Oregon Trail, or the daring captains of industry— but ordinary people and local characters. Loggers, of course, but also steelworkers, wobblies, communists, prostitutes, sailors, shanghaiers, and anyone else who led an interesting life. Holbrook was especially interested in characters whom the stuffed shirts, as he called them, found embarrassing. In other words, as he put it, this was a philosophy of lowbrow history. In combination with his witty writing style and amazing production rate, he's one of those writers who could belt out 5,000 high-quality words in a single day, This quickly propelled him to national prominence. In 1935, he was named editor of Oregon, End of the Trail, which was one of the Works Progress Administration's Oregon Guide series, featuring the work of 50 Oregon writers. The project was something of an exercise in herding cats, but it deepened even further Holbrook's understanding of the Pacific Northwest in general, and Oregon in particular. Part 3 Stuart Holbrook created his first full-on hardcover book in 1938, nearly 20 years after he first started publishing his work. Throughout those 20 years, he'd been waiting for someone to publish a book about loggers, and he finally realized that that someone was going to have to be himself or the job would probably not get done. The result was Holy Old Mackinac, A Natural History of the American Lumberjack. The book was a huge success. Over the years, it went through 17 printings comprising a good 200,000 copies, and it pretty much cemented Holbrook's national reputation as the guy editors looked to for stories and information about logging. Someone coined the term the Lumberjack Boswell for him, and it stuck. It fit well. He and Kay moved to Massachusetts for a few years so that Holbrook could more easily follow up on this new twist on his literary career. And over the next four years, he cranked out five more books, Let Them Live, about industrial accidents, Iron Brew, about the steel industry, Ethan Allen, an irreverent take on the revolutionary war hero, Murder Out Yonder, one of the world's first true crime titles, and None More Courageous, American War Heroes of Today, which, as you can imagine, was written during the Second World War. Late in the war years, he moved back to the Northwest to run the new Keep Washington Green Fire Prevention Campaign, the first of its kind, which ended up being used as a model for similar programs in other states, including, of course, Oregon. In 1947, Kay died, and a year later Holbrook married Sybil Walker. By that time, he had moved back to Portland, where he not only lived for the remarkably productive remainder of his life, but he became plugged into the community to a somewhat unusual degree— From the end of World War II until his death in 1964, Holbrook was perhaps the best-known personality in the Pacific Northwest, historian Booth writes. The press covered his books, his travels, his views on current issues, and the famous people who came to Portland to visit the Holbrooks. During those years, he published about a dozen more books, all full-length, thoroughly researched nonfiction works. Lost Men of American History, from 1946, kind of set the tone for his post-war output. It was a collection of profiles of, quote, mavericks, malcontents, unorthodox thinkers, men and women who were going against the wind and tide, he wrote, people who had contributed important elements to history and to America, but whom history had sort of overlooked or forgotten. Which is ironic, because Holbrook himself has been largely forgotten by history. When he died of a stroke in 1964, at the age of 71, he was Portland's most celebrated literary figure. People mentioned his name along with those of writers like Lincoln Steffens and Theodore Dreiser, and of humorists like Will Rogers and Groucho Marx. His regular writings in the Oregonian kept everyone well acquainted with his witty, avuncular, eccentric style. Historian Booth calls him a 24-carat character. Later in his life, he took up painting as a hobby and invented a quote-unquote modern artist named Mr. Otis, whom he claimed he was representing. In reality, it was Holbrook himself, wearing a French beret and painting in a style that was, as Booth puts it, something like a fusion of Grandma Moses and Salvador Dali. These canvases, much to Holbrook's surprise, soon started selling, and they're highly prized today. But within a couple decades of Holbrook's death, Oregon became a different place. The population grew rapidly as out-of-staters discovered it. The timber industry imploded, a victim of a combination of sawmill automation and environmental regulations exacerbated by a legacy of decades of irresponsible over-harvesting. Although Holbrook was one of the earliest Oregon conservationists – you can see his policy clearly in the policies of Governor Tom McCall, especially in his notorious visit-but-don't-stay remarks – by the mid-1980s, he was no longer a perfect fit for a state that had more or less moved into the postmodern era. But any time a modern Oregonian wants a taste of the Golden Age, Holbrook's books and stories are a pretty good portal back into a simpler time in Oregon. preserved for us the life stories and the folklore of ordinary people from a time that's gone and probably never coming back. Key sources in this story included works by Brian Booth and Stuart Holbrook. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening, and I do hope you enjoyed it. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. Check out our hub page at offbeatoregon.com to explore all the other things we do or to find full citations and visuals that go with today's show. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details of that, see offbeatoregon.com slash cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficarra. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Offbeat Oregon history episodes are uploaded every weekday morning at around 6 a.m., so it'll be a couple of days before you get your next fix. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day and the subsequent weekend with good stuff. Bye now.